You're listening to the podcast Circular Economy, a new narrative. Whenever we think of startups, our minds conjure up visions of success, impact, and riches. The very word startup makes us think of something that is loaded with potential. The beginning of a new venture that is full of promise and excitement. We are building towards becoming Google for Circular Solutions. The bar for circular startups lies even higher. Not only do they aim for success, they also want to play an important role to help the transition from a linear economy towards a circular one. We decided to be a true sustainable company, which means being sustainable for products, but also for people. But maintaining or scaling up a circular business comes with hurdles and challenges, different from those that regular or linear startups face. Uh, there's high volumes, low margins, the prices in the stores are very low, which for us was very hard to compete with. Welcome to the second episode of The Circular Economy, A New Narrative. My name is Annette van Soest and I am your host. In the next half hour, you will learn everything you need to know about The Circular Challenge. Thomas Bowens is a researcher at the Copernicus Institute of Sustainable Development. In our first episode, you already heard that Thomas has analyzed the business models of 147 startups in the Netherlands and their role in the circular economy. According to his research, these startups function as kickstarters of the circular economy. Thomas, welcome back. Thanks. What are the most common challenges circular startups encounter? Well, one first challenge is economic. It's, it's still relatively cheap to use newly um, extracted materials and resources. For example, uh, the cost of virgin plastics is still very uh, low compared to recycled plastic. So for uh, circular startups, it's difficult to make a business case around uh, reused or recycled products. Because their products are more expensive to begin with. Yes, they are relatively more expensive compared to linear products. And um, as a consequence, it's also um, a problem uh, when consumers are uh, less willing to pay for circular products. So circular startups needs to need to convince consumers of the about the superiority of their uh, products compared to linear ones. Are there more challenges specific to circular startups? So uh, another challenge is regulation. Some regulations um, are actually hurdles for circular startups. So um, there are regulations around uh, the use of waste as an input for uh, producing uh, new products. Uh, of course, these regulations are there for a reason, for health and safety reasons, but we may want to think about other solutions uh, to uh, reach these objectives without uh, making obstacles for uh, circular startups to uh, conduct their activities. Okay. What about financing? Because that's a, a struggle for uh, all startups. Um, are there uh, specific problems that circular startups face concerning yeah. finance? Yeah. So take the example of the product service system model which entails selling performance or service instead of um, uh, material products. Um, this model has a very different cash flow and cost structure and therefore a very different uh, risk structure. 
and and banks um, are not very familiar with uh, this new structure, so they are uh, not used to. Uh, finance uh, these business models. Yeah, and you're talking about the business model where uh, uh, people don't own products, but they pay for the use of it. Exactly. So uh, companies sell the performance of their products instead of the products themselves. How can we remove these obstacles? The government has a big role to play in uh, building a favorable environment for circular startups. Uh, it can use a panoply of instruments uh, to do so. One of them is public procurements. The government is a huge buyer uh, and consumer of uh, resources and products. So it can um, favor the demand for circular products. And, and, and Set an example. Well, yes, exactly. Set an example by um, massively buy uh, circular products and services from these startups. Another instrument is tax policies. Uh, it can lower uh, added value taxes on remanufactured, uh, reused uh, products, for example. Uh, why, why should the government do that? Well, to favor and to boost uh, demand for, for these products. Um, and also to um, tackle this, this reluctance of consumers to uh, um, uh, pay higher a higher price for, for circular products. I can imagine a linear startup saying this is unfair competition. Well, it's not unfair competition um, since there are some products that we need to favor because they are societally uh, beneficial. Uh, it's, it's the same for other products such as uh, smoking or, or other things. Um, we need to, uh, as a society favor the use and the consumption of products that are beneficial for all. So the, the, the government uh, needs to kind of orient uh, the innovations that are created by companies through uh, uh, fiscal and, and, and policy instruments. Thank you so much. Thomas Bowens, researcher at the Copernicus Institute of Sustainable Development. is about reconciling our economy with our planet, reconciling the way we produce, the way we consume with our planet, and respecting the environment we live in. That is the core of the European Green Deal. You heard European Commission President Ursula von der Leyen presenting the Green Deal to the European Parliament last year. The European Green Deal wants to transform the 27-country bloc from a high to a low-carbon economy without reducing prosperity and by improving people's quality of life. And recently, in her first State of the Union, she raised the targets. We need to go faster and we need to do things better. We looked in depth in every sector to see how fast we could go and how to do it in a responsible, evidence-based way. The European Commission is proposing to increase the 2030 targets for emission reduction to at least 55%. With the European Green Deal, von der Leyen put circular businesses at the core of the new economy. How can circular startups accelerate this transition? Let me introduce you to my next three guests. Timon Terhoeven, co-founder and CEO at Rootspikes. Michael Haidasinski, founder and director of Saltrax. And Chantal Engele, founder of 
Komkommer, welcome to you all. Nice that you are with us in our studio. Chantal, I want to start with you. We talked to each other briefly in the first episode of this series. Your goal with Komkommer is to reduce food waste because you found out that many crooked fruits and vegetables are thrown away because of their appearance. How did people first respond to your plan? Well, when we started in 2012, food waste wasn't really an issue. So um, it was not in the media like it is now. Consumers were not aware of it. It was not an issue yet in retail, but it did start to come up. So um, when we started to tell the story of food waste, you could see people were pretty um, surprised, amazed, and also interested. So I think we started at the right time. And um, so for us, the focus is at wonky fruit and vegetables, crooked cucumbers, a carrot with two legs or a um, a weird looking tomato. Um, When we started to tell the story, you could see that people really had no clue that this problem even existed. So, um, yeah, I think people were very interested, uh, surprised. And um, uh, many people, I think, uh, tagged along to our mission and wanted to be involved. And at first you had a two-track approach. You campaigned to create awareness about the flaws in the food system. And you started making soup. Um, how was it to start a soup business? Well, we were. it was never a plan for us to start a soup business. We were thinking, how can we get this story to consumers and to uh, other people in the chain, also supermarkets, uh, growers? Um, we couldn't really sell the vegetables itself because nobody was interested in them. You know, they were not allowed to have their place in the store. So we thought, what if we turn them into a product where you cannot actually see them, but you do rescue them. And with the product, you can tell the story. So that's actually uh, how we came up with, okay, let's make a food product. And that way, get the wonky produce on the consumer's table and it becomes a topic of uh, uh, conversation. Okay, but before you get it on the consumer's table, you have to get it into the store on the shelf where there are already a lot of soup brands. How did you do that? Well, we started in specialty stores, uh, which were more open to our story. And we focused on that for the first two years. And uh, from that point on, we got into uh, different, uh, uh, bigger stores, but also, for example, the food service. So we kind of grew uh, organically like that. You decided uh, to quit the soup business at one point, but you still have the same goal. Tell me a bit more about that. Yeah, this year we decided to stop with our soup business. And um, as I said, we were never planning to start a soup business in the first place, but it kind of uh, turned into a soup business. And um, on the way, um, we grew bigger and bigger. And we came to the point that we actually had to decide, do we continue in this field and actually turn ourselves into a soup business because that's what's needed to compete in this market. Uh, There's high volumes, low margins, the prices in the stores are very low, which for us was very hard to compete with. So if we want to do this successfully, we really had to scale up and um, invest in things that Comcomer is actually not really about. And uh, so we decided we let uh, other players in the market play this game. So we focus again on telling this story in different ways. Timon Terhoeve, co-founder and CEO at Roots Bikes. Uh, Timon, um, the company now is 30% circular. Are you aiming for 100%? Uh, we're, we're a bit more than uh, 30%, actually. So we, we do two and things. And you have to update your website. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. It's, it, it's, it's always difficult, so you have to keep communication simple. Uh, of course, we have a bit of space uh, to dive into it now. 
Um, so our uh, current consumer bikes are about 30 to 40% circular, depends on the on the specific bike. Um, but for companies such as OV Feeds or Student Hotel or other fleet, uh, fleet owners, we do uh, services and we actually remanufacture their end-of-life bikes into new quality, even better than new quality bikes. We, we upgrade them. And those bikes tend to be uh, over 70% circular, actually. So 70% of the old bike goes into a new bike. Okay. Um, and But is it your goal to one day attain the 100% circularity? The, the 100% circularity is not an achievable goal, but it is something to strive for, to get okay. as close uh, to possible. So that's why we, we do try to get there. And what we're doing at the moment is uh, we have a, a development project um, design team working on a circular e-bike, uh, which is very challenging. Um, e-bikes are uh, really growing in the market, but there's also a lot more waste tied to an e-bike versus on a normal bike. So um, we feel there needs to be a solution for that, and we see uh, a lot of opportunity for such a bike. I want to play an audio fragment for you from uh, Walter Stahel. It's the godfather of the circular economy. Owning a good makes sense if that good increases in value. So owning a house makes sense. Owning any disposable good doesn't make sense. So therefore you should rent it. So therefore you should rent it. Roots is working on a new business model in which you shift the ownership of the bike from consumer to producer. Does that change the way you build the bikes? Uh, yes, and you could almost say we, we did it the other way around. So we're, we're developing bikes which should come back to us. And luckily, there's uh, actually uh, been a lot of acceptance lately for product-as-a-service models, uh, which we can now embrace to reach our goals. But it's 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 certainly a very important uh, aspect. And I totally agree with the quote uh, from Mr. Style that um, it does not make sense to uh, buy a product which depreciates very quickly. And that's certainly the case for... You know, modern e-bikes or bikes less but e-bikes certainly very very fast depreciation and it certainly doesn't uh, also for businesses doesn't make sense to put normal linearly developed e-bikes which will be useless in five years into uh, product as a service models and that's actually what's happening right now so people are leasing e-bikes um, which have a, a you know a low life expectancy uh, and that's that that's why uh, leasing an e-bike for example is so expensive Our third and final guest calls his business the Google for Circular Solutions. His company, Soltrax, is an auction platform for businesses with an interest in surplus, secondary or distressed commodities and cargoes. Soltrax founder and director Michael Haidazinski, welcome. Thank you. A Google for Circular Solutions. Uh, yes, we are building towards becoming Google for Circular Solutions. Um, we started... Uh, in 2016, um, with our current platform, Saltrax, to find a solution optimization for goods that were either discarded or that were not basically finding the most optimal solution in, in the market, if you like. Um, that's a, a bit vague. Can you give an example? Yeah, I can give you an example. If you if you would take, for instance, raw commodities, that's always a difficult product because it's, a, it's, it's before any production stage. Um, and if you take, for instance, cocoa, and that cocoa gets um, 
damaged in a certain way. That cocoa was facing a very low circular solution, for instance, um, gasification. Right? You, you put it in a in a tank together with manure, and, and the, during that process in that tank, I don't want to go into technicality, there's a, a green grass produced that can then be sold back into the market. But you can take the same product and you can squeeze out the, the butter re-refine it and it's maybe no longer usable for consumption but you can still use it for for instance the cosmetics industry or to make suppositories so the pills in the well the pills <laughs> okay so you save through the platform you save products yes. that otherwise would get discarded yes or would be put to a much lesser use both from an economic and a circular perspective how's it going uh, it was going very well until corona hit us um, that's that's a severe impact but we're 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 getting back there. We're getting back on our feet, and we now also I, I can't disclose yet uh, with whom, but we are very close to starting to sell or to offer goods online that are reaching their shelf lives and that because of Corona have been in stock for a long, long time, and now need to be sold or resold and can no longer be sold for their normal purposes. But there are very good and very high value alternative solutions for those products. So COVID-19 um, has hurt your business, but yes. also offers new opportunities. Absolutely, yes. Okay. As Thomas mentioned earlier, uh, circular startups face challenges more than linear ones do. I want to run them by you so um, you can we can see if you recognize them, how to learn from them and how to deal with them. Circular startups may struggle to access external financing. For example, their business idea is new, it lacks market history or a track record of commercial performance. Tima, does that sound familiar? Uh, yes. I mean, I think um, any investor and certainly banks look at risk profiles. Um, so new things tend to be uh, difficult to, to finance. We've um, actually had uh, talks with, uh, with several banks for our new, uh, new business model. And uh, when well, we we want to develop a product which lasts, say, say twenty years, several life cycles, um, and we start talking to uh, to a bank on financing an asset which suddenly starts making profit in its second life cycle. So, say after a first lease, you're not you're actually you're not making a profit yet, but in the second lease term, you are making a profit. That's that's very difficult for them. So that's uh, I think that's far that's too risky. Totally new territory. Yeah, you, <laughs> then you need to do two deals before you make money. Uh, that's that's kind of the, uh, the thinking. Uh, and also just uh, a payback over such a long time is, is scary. Even though we do this every day when we build buildings or buy houses or and then it's a very long fine uh, mm. way of financing. It just has to do with, uh, I think, perception of um, new products and also... Um, Sort of the trust that we need to prove. So I also also feel this is a um, a, chale a, a, um, a challenge put before us to prove that this is, this is possible. Sort of to prove that it is possible to make consumer products which last long enough to put that type of financing on. And what about you, Michael? Um, old school financiers want to see results from the past. How do you tackle that? It was very difficult. Initial financing, we were very very lucky to find with uh, private equity. And only because the, the CEO of that private equity company really understood the concept because he had built a company that had basically offered similar services, but in the financial um, field, 
previously and he understood it. He So he saw the potential, even though he didn't have the numbers or the business case behind it to prove it because it didn't exist yet. And what um, about now? Well, then space? we, yeah, now and now it's even become, I, I must say, it's maybe even more difficult because we, when we, we wanted to, to proceed to the next platform that we're building, the real Google for Circular Solutions, we're selling a system. We're selling a, a platform where we say, let's get all these projects and all these wonderful solutions all together and make them findable so that if you are facing a problem or a challenge, that you can find your solution there and make it work. How do you sell that to a bank? Banks really have great difficulty understanding how that would work. But and but we are living in a platform age and tech companies yeah. are booming. Yeah, but there isn't, there isn't one yet that, that proves the concept, that proves that it works. So eventually, uh, I must say, the, 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 we found a bank who were willing to to co-finance it together with the crowd, with crowdfunding, um, and ourselves. Um, but it has been a very long journey to, to 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 get to that stage. Very difficult. What do financiers need to get them on board? Um, I think you need you need proof, and you need a solid business case. So. What we are doing right now is we're making a, uh, let's say, a prototype, a, a really a proof of concept uh, product. So our past year um, has consisted of uh, a group of engineers uh, put together in a room. And the only focus was, okay, proof of concept, prove this concept, prove the business case. So we're doing that now. Um, and I think you need to um, do a lot of homework. And uh, then I still think we, we can actually achieve this. But... To get to that point, really, we were, had to be very creative in, in funding. So we won a certain um, award uh, from the Amsterdam Economic Board. We got a uh, foundation, Stichting Doen, behind us. We put a lot of, my, of our, you know, our entire cash flow goes into this project. You know, all of our, our free cash flow we, we put into uh, into this project to to achieve that uh, proof of concept phase. And this is very risky. For an existing business, so it's uh, it's not an all or nothing uh, thing. I think if we can survive, if it doesn't work. But I don't think there are many traditional businesses willing to do this to to change to their business so model. To uh, yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah, put so much effort and, and attention into that. Another barrier relates to consumers. They can be resistant to circular innovations and reluctant to pay a higher price uh, for circular products. Chantal, um, in what way did you experience that with your soups? Well, we noticed as long as you're in the specialty stores, consumers are very uh, willing to buy these kind of products because I think they come there with a different mindset than when they go to the supermarkets. But once you go into the supermarkets, uh, it's a complete different market. So, for example, for soups, it's uh, it's very low prices. There's only a few big players which you have to compete with. And uh, your product is completely different from the competitor. The way we produce it, the ingredients, um, everything behind it. But when it's on the shelf, it's compared with, uh, or tomato soup was compared with the tomato soup of a big player. And uh, the only difference a consumer sees is the price tag. Is a, it's that it's a lot more expensive. Mm. So you actually compare apples and pears. But... Um, it's it's hard Crooked for ones. Yeah, exactly. But it's hard it's hard for the consumer to see that. And that's kind of the f- you have to show your added value in 3 seconds when the consumer makes a decision and that's c- quite complicated. How how did you do that? Um well, I guess we always focus really on telling the story because that's the only way how to involve the consumer in this product. Of course your product has to be good. But um uh, as as a kind of business that we are um 
you, you actually have a double challenge. Your product has to be as good as that of the competitor. Everything has to be as good as. But you also do it completely differently. And that makes the challenge uh, double, yeah, double as hard. So uh, focusing on the story, make sure your product is good. Um, yeah, that's kind of the way out to do it. But it's, uh, it's very challenging. Yeah. Uh, Timon, um, uh, are your bikes more expensive than a regular city bike? Our current bikes are very design focused, so they're, they're, they may not be for everyone, but I think they are they're fairly priced for the design and quality that we put into it. But I, I, I do feel that um, to make you know, the circular economy successful, you need to really get to a, a point where circular products are just more economic than uh, normal products. And, uh, and, I think and in what way? Because they last longer? or uh, Because they're just a, a, a better uh, price-value combination for the consumer. So I, I think we're, a lot of initiatives in the circular economy are focused on waste, which makes sense because we need to deal with that. But it's it's usually the question, okay, oh, it's a circular product. That's nice. So how much more expensive is it? You know, instead of being, oh, it's circular. So there's, you know, it's really well thought out. So you actually get more value out of the product. You retain more value than, you know, your operational costs are lower or, I think we can we can get to a point, certainly with our product, and I think this is the, the key for a circular transition, where circular products um, you know, are just better performers than uh, regular products in price, in, in competition, everything, because you have a better design that is, in the end, lower cost. Chantal, do you agree? Yeah, I totally agree. I think it's a bit different from uh, the food market, of course, which uh, functions very differently. But yeah, I definitely agree that um, it should be the smartest option to buy a circular or sustainable product. And uh, it, in the current market, for the consumer, it doesn't always work out like that. You know, he, he probably has to pay more. Uh, there could be other uh, perceived disadvantages to the product. So uh, we have to find out how we can change the environment that the consumer decision is going to be um, easier than it is now and that he's actually stimulated to choose this product instead of... Um, feeling like he has to invest in this or something. Mm. Thomas uh, suggested uh, one solution could be that the government uh, lowers taxes for these kinds of products. I see you all nodding. I think uh, it, it makes sense certainly for, for um, you know, value-added tax. I mean, uh, the Dutch term is belasting uh, toegevoegde waarde, right? So a circular product, the second time it goes onto market, there's only it will probably only be a very little added value, so it should be a very low, low tax products yeah or an, another option is, is, is to show the true price of a product yeah, because comparing a, a, a product right now is is only done on price but the price doesn't show all the negative effects that are actually included in the product so if you could see that for example our soup the true price is much lower than uh, the competitor's product uh, then you make it much more transparent because you do you do not see the environmental costs of exactly. a product on the yeah, the, it's, it's hard for the, the consumer to see yeah. that and to understand why that would be so. Another obstacle circular startups are faced with relates to regulations or laws that may obstruct the development of circular solutions. For instance, waste regulations can impede and hinder circular initiatives to use byproducts of a production process as an input for product development because such resources are classified as waste. Have you experienced this, Michael? 
uh, yes, every day. It's literally what we're trying to to change and challenge. Um, it is very difficult, um, and you read it now more and more uh, in Dutch Ruimte in the Regels. It's a, it's a report by for uh, our previous minister Zorgdrager. Um, we do need some leniency towards the rules to be able to make a change because what you see is that the inspectors of the government, they don't make the policy and therefore you have a very, very close system whereby if once there is a policy, it is not deviated from, even not for the good. Also can you give an example? I, I understood you can. You have an example of frozen fish. Oh, yes. Um, there's a very strict regulation in the EU that a certain type of fish may not arrive at a temperature above minus 15 degrees. Um, so it's deep frozen. It also means that if it's minus 14 or minus 14 and a half, if you like, it has to be destroyed. There are countries, civ very civilized countries, that have different norms and where this fish would be perfectly uh, fit for either consumption or for pet food. Yet, very, very often, it's not allowed to be re-exported um, for such to, to such destination, which I find is ridiculous. Um, and we've now managed on, a, on several occasions to to make it happen so that we actually got a proper price for such a product. And then after the fact, so it was a condition in the sale that uh, permission was to be obtained from the authorities, that this product was allowed to be re-exported with the proof of the re-export and with all the documentation, etc. So it, it's hardship to get it there. Yeah, It's but a it's, struggle, but you can... You can do it. Chantal? Well, for to turn wonky vegetables into a food product, there you don't really have this issue because it's not actually waste, right? It becomes waste when you're not using it. But the whole um, reason behind the issue of wonky fruit and vegetable is legislation because there is legislation about how fruit and vegetables should look like. There is EU laws that tell how a kiwi should look like and if you're allowed to sell it or not. Okay, what what is a kiwi supposed to look like? Well... Um, can you um, imagine a heart-shaped kiwi? Mm -hmm. You've never seen it probably because it's not allowed. But when a, two gr kiwis grow together, they turn into a heart. They're beautiful. They're the most beautiful kiwis I've ever seen. You're not allowed to sell them on the market. And that's a law. And nobody can explain me why that law exists. They say it's consumer protection, but I think consumers would love it. So that's why we try to battle this uh, legislation in politics as well. Are our policymakers aware of this problem or aware enough? Chantal? Uh, in this case, I just explained not when we brought this to the uh, to the Hague, to the politician, they had no clue that these rules even existed. They, they're not a topic of conversation and that's why we bring it up. We want to get it on the agenda and uh, these, these rules maybe made sense one day, mm. but not anymore in this time where we are now, the challenges we face... We, we cannot reject food on, on how it looks. It's ridiculous. So yeah. that's why we bring it up. Yeah, and you bring it up. Are they ambitious to change it? Well, that's the thing. I think there are some politicians there are, that are ambitious to change it, but there is lobby. There is uh, strong uh, forces in the market that wants to see this differently. And that's something we have to uh, take it up against, which is uh, quite challenging. Michael? Yes, and the second thing is not only the regulations from the government side, but also internally with companies. You see the industry or the companies, but who is that? Who do I call? Is it the purchase manager? Is it the, the procurement manager? Is it the insurance manager? Is it the CEO? Who do I talk to to make a change within a company? Who is the person within the government that I call? Is it the policymaker? But who is it? 
And is it going to be the same one in two years after the elections? Or is the policy going to change again? Yeah, what, what is needed to push this into the right direction? Uh, I once Even. heard uh, Ruth Kornstra say uh, we need... Um, I think you need a bit more freedom for the for the civil servant, you know, the Amtenaar, to to make some decisions. Uh, and instead of being um, like held responsible if maybe uh, a certain initiative was granted, which wasn't exactly in how this law was written out. And let me give you an example of something which is so clear, but then couldn't be accepted. So we we are facing, you know, we're finishing our, our proof of concept phase, so we want to do pilots, we want to demonstrate it. So there's actually a, a subsidy in the Netherlands, which is called the, the DEI+. Plus. It's called a, like a demonstration uh, subsidy for energy, but also circular uh, initiatives. Oh, very good. So if you start looking into those rules, then all the circular initiatives are, you know, sort of the way it's written down. It's all about waste, like waste reduction or doing something with waste. Uh, da, da, da. It's not about starting at you know, the start of the problem, which is the product design phase. Um, and I bet it makes a lot of sense to do it, of course. But because this is written down that way, um, our, you know, we applied for this and we were, it was rejected. Our idea was rejected because, you know, it's not allowed to do that. Okay, but you know you still have 16 million in this uh, fund. In, in this fund, it's not going to. Let's be, use it. It's only a few months left, so it's not going to be used. You know, you have a clear channel for circular economy, but uh, and you really enter the discussion like, why can you? This is just ridiculous. You could just you know accept this out of the box. Yeah. We need to think out of the box. Yeah. Uh, what what do you need help with to uh, fulfill your role as a circular? Economy accelerator, because that's what you are, Michael. Um, understanding, more understanding where to go to um, within the industries. The industries are looking towards the 31st of December where their PL is drawn up, and that's the result of the company. It's a different way of pricing. And I just realized during this talk that if the industry doesn't change, you're going to be up against them all the time, team, because you are a competitor. And whereas what you need to do is you need to try to change the dynamics of, of an industry from not only manufacturing, but manufacturing and maintaining, because if that doesn't happen, there's always going to be a, a competitive edge there. Uh, so, yeah, I, what do we need? I think, first of all, to truly understand how the system works before we can change it. And that's that's, I think, difficult enough in itself. Chantal, any final thoughts? Um, I think for us, it would yeah, it's very helpful if you could find uh, partners in the market that dare to do things differently, and and not st stick to the rules that uh, that we know uh, that we play by, and um, that, um, for example, the big big supermarkets, you know, um, maybe just try to experiment and do things differently, and uh, let us help you, and uh, that's what we're looking for. We're looking for partners that want to uh, explore. Uh, new ways of doing things, but but we see big corporates uh, making a shift and and also working together with startups and making pledges to do more about circular economy. Do you see a shift happening? I think it's definitely changing. If you look at um, when we started in 2012, the situation was completely different. So it's definitely definitely uh, changing. But I think it's too slow if you see what we're up against. So we have to make bigger steps. We had the, the we played the quote of Ursula von der Leyen, uh, who also said we we need to go faster. Um, 
do you feel supported by uh, the, this European Commission and this uh, this new Green Deal? Um, I feel supported in the sense that it's uh, that it's the good message. You know, it's the right voice. Um, but we know such things transform only very slowly to the opportunities that we will have. So I'm not counting on anything coming out there for me because we'll be years on and challenging new topics. But it, maybe um, so maybe it's not really help that we need, but I think we, um, if, we, if we see that we've really changed the balance of the world in, say, 100 years, right? Like in, from 1920s, we really started mass consuming and now we really you know, tipped the world off balance in 100 years. What has fueled that? That's just consumption has fueled that desire for products. So I think if we can counterbalance that by bringing desirable products, which are circular, then that is by far the fastest way to change the world. And then companies will follow. So I think we should have, in terms of help, much more funding going into you know circular innovation. Much, much, much more. It's 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 nothing. If you look at the entire subsidy streams, how much is going to circular innovation? It's nothing. And it is the challenge. So this, this balance is totally off. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this second episode of our podcast, The Circular Economy, A New Narrative. Big thank you to my guests, Timon Terhoeven, co-founder and CEO at Roots Bikes, Michael Heidasinski, founder and director at Saltrax, and Chantal Engele, founder Komkommer. In our next and final episode, we are tapping into our imagination to create an image of this new world, the circular world. See you then. <laughs> <laughs>